Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, to help you become a master of the mental game, and to help you start dominating the day. Everybody, Brian Kane, your peak performance coach here with the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. And today we've got a very special guest. Lindsay Fry is a Harvard University graduate and a member of the 2014 Team USA Women's Ice Hockey Silver Medal winning team at the Sochi Olympics. Lindsay has become a good friend, and we're really, really excited to have her on here today as one of the elite ice hockey players in the country, talking about the mental game and her experience through through Harvard and through the Olympics and what she knows about the mental game that we can take and use to help us have more success on the ice. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy schedule to join us. Oh, thank you for having me, Brian. Would you kind of catch our listeners up to speed? I know you have a very, very unique and amazing story having ended up all the way in Cambridge, Massachusetts at Harvard and on the Team USA Olympic team having played ice hockey in Arizona growing up. (laughs) <laughs> sure thing. So, yeah, I didn't necessarily take the most uh, traditional ice hockey path, that's for sure. Growing up in Arizona, um, I played with the boys until I was in high school and then ended up playing with the girls uh, throughout high school up in Colorado. Um, when I got to, to Harvard, I really up until that point, I had never, I'd never really been um, challenged mentally and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that things had become, things had been really uh, natural for me, both hockey, school, everything. So um, when I got to Harvard, that was really when I faced my first kind of mental challenge. And um, to be completely honest, I had never been trained in the mental side of the game until that point. And so uh, I struggled Th- those first couple years. It was really, it was really tough for me. Um, about halfway through is when I decided, you know what, I need to make some changes, um, not only to my physical game, but to my mental game to get myself to the next level, which in women's hockey, of course, is is the Olympic Games. So um, I buckled down and, and you know, I didn't have a, a ton of help. A lot of it came from within. Um, and I wish that I had had a lot more mental skills training up until that point, but um, really just focused on setting my goals, um, taking things one day at a time and ended up working my tail off and uh, getting invited to play on that senior national team um, and ultimately the Olympic hockey team. You know, Lindsay, I think your situation is great for people to hear, having had the success that you've had at the international level and playing in the Olympics and you're graduating from one of the premier institutions in, our, in the country. What were some of the challenges that, that you had that I think every athlete that goes to, the, even the Division One or any, any college level that goes into, they always have challenges, and I often think that they think they're the only ones that have them. What were some of those challenges that you experienced early on in your career at Harvard? Oh, I mean, definitely for me, the transition coming from the West, you know, I kind of thought I was this this stud hockey player coming in. Um, I was going to run the show when I got to Harvard and um, both academically and athletically. And you get there and realize that everybody's smart. Everybody's good. Everybody's talented. Um, So I think that's something that a lot of athletes face that go on and play D1 sports um, and, and professional sports. You know, you get into this world where everybody around you is good and so that was a real real challenge for me um, and and made that transition to college a bit of an adjustment Um, I think on top of that you know even once you get over that hill being an athlete in college it's a full-time job 
Um, it, it takes a lot of learning how to balance your schedule, learning how to, you know, balance social life, family, hockey, school, friends, everything. Um, and so that can be really, really difficult. And I think being able to have some mental coaching in order to, you know, learn how to kind of handle all of that pressure is really, really important. When did you first get exposed to mental conditioning, whether it be through a book or through, you know, with Team USA, working with a sports psychology coach? What was your first kind of exposure to the mental game? Well, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I'll never forget, there was this boy on my team who I think we were probably 12 or 13, and he was reading Mind Gym. And I couldn't really understand it at that point in time. You know, I was young. I didn't really think, you know, what could reading a book before you get out onto the ice do for you? That seemed, that it honestly, it seems stupid to me. <laughs> and so I picked up Mind Gym later on throughout high school and read a few, you know, stories from it and, you know, thought it was great, um, but never really focused on it as far as, you know, how it could help me. Um, we had a few things here and there where we had mental skills coaches come in um, to national camps that I would go to during high school. Again, I saw them as, oh, this is a nice relaxing exercise, but how is this really going to make me better? And it wasn't until you know I had to make that transition halfway through college to, okay, I'm good now. How am I going to be great? And so I started doing some research. You know, how do we? You know, what are what are some things that I could be doing to get better? I was looking up quotes. I was reading more books. Um, and then once I got to that national team level, we did have a sports psychologist who worked with the team. And, you know, we did a ton of team building stuff. And that's really when I realized, oh, my goodness, like these these mental exercises are what I need. You know, and you've, you've read our book that we were coming out with, the, the Mental Game of Ice Hockey. And would that have been beneficial, you think, for you to have gone through that book earlier in your career? Would that have maybe helped you better transition to your next level of competition you went from high school to Harvard? Oh, 100%. 100%. No question about it. Because, you know, one thing that I really liked, again, I read, I read some pieces of Mind Gym, and um, that's kind of what I have to compare. But one thing that I absolutely love about this book is how hands-on it is. The exercises in the book, I mean, my copy's all, you know, bent up right now because I'm constantly looking at um, marking pages, writing in it. Um, there are so many different things that I find helpful every single day. And had I had that back when, you know, I was 15, 16, 17, all through college, it would have been tremendously helpful because it's one thing to sit there and say, you know, okay, here I am, this freshman in college, I want to make an Olympic team. Well, how the heck are you going to do that, right? I mean, it's not just, it, it, it takes a lot. It's like, you know, you need to be able to have the steps in place mentally to get to that ultimate goal. And that is the mental, you know, kind of conditioning and direction that I didn't have. What are some of the principles that are in the mental game of ice hockey lens that, that you read and, you're, and they kind of hit you and go, man, I wish I had learned that earlier, or wow, that's great, I'm going to get to share that with the athletes that you're working with now, more of in a coaching role? Um, you know, I think one of the things that I love that I had never heard of before was no means next opportunity. I love that um, because it's so true. You know, I tell people, these kids that I coach, I tell them about a story when I was – Going from my freshman to my sophomore year, I really wanted to make the August tryout camp for the senior national team. So I worked really, really hard that summer. I, you know, trimmed down a little bit, and I didn't end up making the camp. 
And so instead of continuing to go on and, and build on everything I had worked so hard for that summer, I fell back and said, oh, well, all right, they told me no, so forget it. And I went backwards and, you know, went right back to where I started. Um, so I love no means next opportunity. I think the other thing that was so important to me throughout my journey was, you know, you talk about it in 80% of the process or, or, you know, when you're reaching for goals, it's 80% about the process, 20% about the outcome. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. I mean, if you, if you focus on the process over the outcome, it's, you're going to be so much more likely to reach your goal. And for me, a lot of it had to do with my eating and my body composition and getting into the shape that I needed to be at that elite level. And I found a great quote that I loved, um, constant dripping hollows out of stone. Taking things one day at a time I think is so important for these kids to know. Well, constant dripping hollows out of stone. I think that's that. I mean, that that doesn't summarize the process. I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, in terms in terms of constant, you know, the constant dripping for you, and 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 getting to that level. You know, you said you kind of went through a little bit of a challenge going from high school uh, age when you got to Harvard. Like I think everyone does. You get to Division One college athletics. Everyone's good. It's a full time commitment. It's probably more than anyone ever really anticipates what it's going to be, especially with the academic load that you're going to carry in the Ivy League. What was it like when you took that year off from college and were totally immersed in playing for Team USA? What were some of the mental challenges that you experienced going to even that next level and then also competing on the world stage in the Olympic Games? Oh, I mean, it was mentally the most challenging thing I've ever to this day done in my life. Um, you know, you have to keep in mind, we we after the tryouts that were in June um, leading up to the Olympics, they took 25 of us and moved us all out to Boston to practice with each other every single day. And we had to have our roster cut down to 21 before we got to the Olympics. So, yes, tryouts were over, but they really weren't. I mean, every single day, you needed to be on. You needed to be ready to go. And mentally, that can be really, really taxing, especially when you know you don't want to be thinking of, okay, I'm going to practice and have that thought in the back of your head of, oh, I better not screw up because, you know, practice is where you're supposed to try new things, take risks to get better and to grow. Um, and, and it was really hard to do that while remembering, oh, we're still trying out for this team. Um, so that was obviously really challenging. My role on the team made things really mentally challenging. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, your first line player who had that spot set, right? So my role on the team was constantly changing. You know, one day I would be a, you know, up there playing on the second line. One day my role was to be kind of that chip and chase grinder player. Other, you know, days it changed constantly. So um, for me, the mental side of the game was so, so critical. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it's even more of a full-time job. In, in the Olympic setting, right? So um, very mentally taxing, but if you have the right tools and, and the right people surrounding you, then it's it can be it can be managed and be conquered. And I think a lot of times some of the athletes might be listening to this or you know that pick up the book The Mental Game of Ice Hockey, they they may not be in the right environment. You know, they may they may be the the high school hockey player uh, that you know has aspirations of playing at the college level, or they might be the you know trying to get to that next level, but they're in an environment that doesn't maybe necessarily foster that. They're in an environment that maybe they're the they're the most motivated person on their team. And when you're the most motivated person on your team, we talk about you become the average of the five people that you hang out with most. 
but sometimes you're not hanging out with other people that, that have the same aspirations as you do because you have the highest level. So then you need to surround yourself with people through YouTube videos, through books, through calling and interviewing you know, players that are at that next level or coaches that are at that next level to find out what it takes to even get there. And I think those are some of the things that for the players – who maybe are that hardest working player on their team, what this book is going to help them to do is understand the mindset that they can have, that they can control, that's going to help them to you know, live in the present moment, to focus on the process, to stay positive, to use that mental imagery to visualize their success because everything happens twice, and then be able to have consistent routines on a daily basis and pre-shift routines going over the boards or pre-face-off routines, and then being able to kind of recognize their signal lights, release and refocus to really give themselves that best chance for success. Linz, if you could look at everyone you played with at Harvard and then with Team USA, was there any common, what I might, what I would call hooks, is there any common hooks that you saw those players get hooked by from a mental game standpoint, things they couldn't control or, um, you know, have not have, have feeling like they had to feel confident instead of act confident? Was there anything that you saw that was common amongst those elite players? Um... I mean, are you are you asking as far as like things that were distracting for some of them? I'd say both. I'd say things that were distracting for them where they got hooked mentally, but then also the things that they did that made them really, really good. Common I characteristics. See. I see. Well, this is one thing that I talk to my players about all the time. Um, you know, obviously in sports, you, you can't control a lot of things, right? I mean, it's it's every game is different. Um, every Every environment is different that you're going to play in. Every rink is different. Um, so what do we do as athletes to try to compensate for that? You know, we get our routines and we have our pregame routines. We have our pregame rituals. I think those are great because they give us this, this feeling of control, right? However, I've, I've played with a few athletes who if something happens where for whatever reason they're not able to follow that exact pregame routine, they freak out. They shut down. Um, I had one one of my teammates, her go-to pregame meal was an egg sandwich. Dining hall that day was out of eggs. And she was on the verge of a meltdown. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, hey. And she was my line mate, so it obviously was really important to me that she, she performed well. And I said to her, I said, hey, look, yes, is that your pregame routine? Sure. But you're not going to perform any better or any worse if you have or don't have that egg sandwich, right? You're going to be able to go out there and crush it without that egg sandwich. And to be able to give her that pump-up talk and, and to remind her that, yes, those routines are great, but they don't define the way that we play. And I think that's one thing that athletes really can can it can be a great thing to have those routines and, you know, the tape on your stick to remind you of a little mantra or whatever. Um, but again, control the controllables. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and that's all right. But I would say across the board, um, all athletes that I play with, everybody has a pregame routine. Everybody has something that locks them into that game. For me, I love to dance before the game. I put a little something on my stick to remind me of my best friend who passed away, uh, who I played with in high school, and I would wear the same necklace for every single game. So I think that's something that's really important for, for a lot of athletes. I think from a sports psychology perspective too, Lynn, the difference between a routine 
and a superstition. You know, the superstition is that I only play good because I had an egg, an egg sandwich or the, the egg sandwich gives me the power to go out there and play good where a routine is I have a set of behaviors that I like to follow before a game because they make me feel comfortable and they give me some consistency and something to put my mind on that is a process other than you know, the game or what's about to happen. And I know that if my routine gets out of whack because of circumstances outside of my control, it is what it is. And the thing that overrides the routine is your ability to compensate and adjust and go out there and crush it. Like you just said, ideally we have routines that we follow, but when they, when they get disrupted, we know that the power doesn't come from the routine. The power comes from me, and I have to go out there and execute regardless of the routine. And sometimes from a training standpoint, we'll, we'll set a pregame, you know, almost a pregame simulation where everything's out of whack, and they just have to go out there and go so that they get used to practicing that because you, it, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lindsay, what is about mental imagery? Did you ever use visualization or mental imagery or anything like that? I know Saul Miller in his book, Hockey Tough, which is which is a book I, I read when I first started working in ice hockey years ago. He talked about how um, one of the players in the NHL used to score 50 goals a day in his mind before he would use, leave the hotel. Is that something that you, you, you played with at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing for me, it, it of course, you know, you, you can lay in the hotel and, and be thinking about the games, and of course we do. Um, a lot of us did that, and our coaches even recommend that we do that. But one thing that I used to do, this was before I had even made it to my first senior camp. Uh, I remember being at home and I would be training and I'd be busting my tail on the treadmill. And in my mind, I was hearing people like Julie Chu and uh, at the time Jenny Potter and these veterans on the Olympic team. Um, I was hearing them there cheering me on. I didn't even know these women at the time. But I wanted to pretend like I was at camp, I was part of that team, and I was doing my off-ice testing, and these other women and these other girls were cheering me on. So that was something that I did that really motivated me. Um, I'm the kind of player who, you know, I I live and breathe for my teammates, and so to be, to to visually um, think about, you know, them cheering for me and me performing for them really, really helped me. That's awesome. And Linz, some of the things that you learned from hockey in your experience, you're obviously now using as you pursue an advanced degree and you're, you're coaching and kind of on the speaking circuit around the country. T- talk to our listeners a little bit about kind of what Lindsay Fry is doing now in you know, the fall of 2015 and kind of where you see yourself going or where you want to go. Because I'm sure wherever you see yourself and you want to go, that's where you're going to end up. Absolutely. So uh, so I started up a, a camp, hockey camp uh, business, I guess you could call it, called Lindsay Fry Hockey, and I've been running camps in places similar to Arizona where, you know, there may not be a, a ton of hockey, but it's there, um, especially on the girls' side. So I've been down to Florida, just got back from Minot, North Dakota. I'm going to Washington State next week. Um, I've been to New Mexico. So all these places where people don't think, you know, there's hockey there, right? They don't. They don't expect that. Um, and I tell people when I'm when I'm at these camps, you know, the the real changing moment for me that motivated me to go from being a player to being a coach and a motivator was when we got our our silver medals. We you know we're, we're really bummed out because we didn't we didn't get that gold that we worked so hard for. Um, we're just raw emotion. And I looked up into the stands. I knew exactly where my family was sitting. 
And all of that started rushing through my head were images of, you know, the coaches when I was six years old in Chandler, Arizona, um, my teammates who I played with who pushed me to get better, the parents of my teammates who let us, you know, tear the walls up in their houses when we were little playing mini hockey. And I just thought about all of that and realized I wanted to be able to give back and make sure that I wasn't the last person from a place like Arizona to go on and live the dream. And now I get to do you know, what I love pretty much every single day, working with kids, um, talking to them about you know, nutrition, mental toughness, um, on-ice training, off-ice training. And, and it's been awesome. And in addition to that, I've been going around um, doing some motivational speaking talks because at the end of the day, I love working with hockey players and I always will. But, you know, there are so many lessons to be learned from the Olympic journey that, you know, anybody can can learn from. And that goes from, you know, mental conditioning to nutrition to whatever it may be. So that's that's what that's what I've been up to lately. And I've been having a blast, having a lot of fun and um, and I'm just really, really excited for, for the future. Awesome. And Lindsay, the people that are listening to this, I, if they want to follow up with you and either have you come and speak to their team or, or come and work at a camp for them or come and hold a keynote speech at a banquet, whatever it is, and I would highly suggest that anyone in the hockey community or anyone who's looking for a competitive advantage and really trying to learn what it takes to be world-class contact you because in the, the contact time that we've gotten together, I, I've been – uh, very, very impressed, and and the skill set that you possess is is just off the charts from a relational human interaction standpoint to your skill set, ability to play music and juggle and do all the different things that you can do <laughs> to hold people's attention when you're on stage is just off the charts. What's the best way for people to contact you? Is there an email or a Twitter or a phone number or website or anything? Yeah, so you can go to fryhockey.com. Um, and then on there, you can find our contact info. You can shoot me an email directly, uh, Lindsay at fryhockey.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter page for Fry Hockey. We have a Facebook page for Lindsay Fry Hockey and an Instagram page for Lindsay Fry Hockey. So, um, a lot of different outlets, a lot of different information, getting shout out at all different social media, media, uh, outlets. So yeah, just please feel free to contact me. I'd, I'd love to continue to share the message and, um, help anybody else who needs me. So it's the website is Fry Hockey. That's F R Y Hockey dot com, and email is Lindsay L Y N D S E Y at FryHockey dot com. What's the Twitter handle? Uh, that one is Fry Hockey as well. And is it capital? Do we know? I, I don't, don't think, think so. I think it's all lowercase, yeah. Okay, so at Fry Hockey. Fantastic. Well, Lens, last question for you. For anyone listening to this podcast, which is going to be coaches, athletes, athletic directors that are in charge of running high school, college athletic programs, about the one, close to 100,000 people that, uh, that, are, that get the podcast, what's the one take-home that you'd like to leave for that whole audience if you could remove their skull cap? and plant one seed of success that would germinate inside of their mind, what would that one thought, that one idea be? (laughs) I mean, if you want to be successful, you have to invest in your success. And that that can mean a whole lot of things. Um, I think the biggest thing is it's a daily process. Success is a daily process, and success is really in the journey. And if you take that journey one day at a time, then you know what, no matter what the outcome, you're going to be successful. Awesome. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. You're fantastic. Appreciate you. Thank you, Brian. 
Today's podcast is sponsored by Potential Apparel. Potential Apparel is on a mission to inspire athletes to reach their true potential. If you're serious about reaching yours, then you have to go check them out. They make awesome clothing for dedicated and committed athletes. I'm a huge supporter of what they're doing, and that's why I wear their clothing with pride. Make a statement and join the movement today at PotentialApparel.com. Be sure you use promo code Brian Kane with a space between Brian and Kane for 15% off on your first order. Dominate the day with Potential Apparel. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit BrianKane.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com and sign up for my Monday message where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our Contact Us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network.